As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 289 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Today it's a special episode as I'm joined by Bob, the less good looking half of Twisted Britain. Welcome, Bob. I'll take that. (laughs) I've been called worse. (laughs) I can can really imagine. Bob, for those who don't know of you and Twisted Britain, maybe tell us a bit about you. Uh, yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me up. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure to do this with the Adam. Cheers. Um, yeah, as you say, I'm one of half of Twisted Britain. Myself and my co-host, Ali, record a podcast in a pub. And that sounds like fun, but actually it's an absolute nightmare. Because at the same time of us is the Domino's League. So we have several old men playing dominoes in the background of our podcast. So <laughs> if you like true crime, pubs, pints, and old men playing dominoes, Twisted Britain's for you. Well, you've you've certainly sold it there, Bob. And uh, if you haven't listened to Twisted Britain, um, I went down to record an episode with the guys before Christmas. A lot of fun. Great episodes. They focus more on older cases normally, Bob, right? Yeah, we've kind of fallen into that. We, we started the podcast uh, a few years ago, myself and uh, my previous co-host, Nadine, started it because we were just kind of like, we had been listening to those podcasts and we went, nobody's talking about weird enough shit for us. Mm. Uh, it just probably says more about us than it does about podcasting. <laughs> Uh, but we've just kind of found our way into the historic crimes that you've maybe not heard so much about. Mm. Uh, we've just recorded an episode that, to me, should be a much, much bigger cr- case than it actually is. But it's not covered that much because it's just a bit weird. Yeah. Uh, and that's the stuff that we fall into. We talk about, we've done cases on uh, Sonny Bean, Britain's biggest cannibal. We've done... Um, oh, God, what are the nuts ones we've done? We've covered everything from... Um, the only ever assassinated British Prime Minister right through to cannibals and witches and, and murderers and, and all sorts in between. Uh, so if you're looking for a bit of light entertainment, uh, Twisted Britain is for you. Yeah, well, I was looking back at the messages that you and I sent to each other organising this and I'd sent you a couple of ideas for cases, that, uh, but one of the ones you were like, maybe not this one so much. And I was like, oh, it's fine. I just found it in some light reading about axe murderers. <laughs> so that's where that's where my mind is. Don't worry. Um, everyone that listens to this podcast, Bob, is in a very similar place, as I'm sure you're aware. Well, if any of you have a list of axe murderers, give me a shout. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's go from axe murderers to sisters. Um, I want to share a quote with you from Erin Morganston. She said, I do not see as well without her. I do not hear as well without her. I do not feel as well without her. I would be better off without a hand or a leg than without my sister. And today's case takes place in Hampshire in the southeast of England and looks at the relationship between two sisters. They were close, supportive, loving and from a stable wider family. 
Oh, by the way, a huge thank you to Hayes from Podcast You Wrote for research and writing this episode. Um, Bob, have you got any message for Hayes while we're here? Uh, yeah, if you ever want to write an episode for me so that Adam can just do all the work and I don't have to do anything, <laughs> that would be wonderful. No, I've listened to a few of the episodes that Hayes has written in the past. And yeah, um, yeah I think if she wrote one for Twisted Britain, people would know without me telling them that, that somebody else has written it because she is much better at it than I am. I was going to say the quality would be this oh, step higher, wouldn't it's, it? It's infinitely better, yeah. Yeah, it's the same here. So thank you so much, Hayes. As always, a thank you to all my supporters at Patreon and especially the new members of our community. Thank you so much for your support. And Bob, what I've got you here, um, Patreon to me, I mention it every week and I'm so sure some people who aren't uh, a Patreon supporter just forward wind it. Think, oh, why is he talking about Patreon again? But it's really important to me to have this community that offers so much support to me as a podcaster. It's also an incredible platform. Uh, I rate Patreon hugely. I hate asking people to give money. Mm. It's just not what we do well. We have a, a core group of people who do, and actually they're the people that I don't care about them more because they're Patreons. It's the fact that they've gone out of their way to say, I want to support you as an independent artist. Because, you know, as you and I both are, we do this off our own back. This isn't yeah. for, you know, this is for fun. It's not because we have to, you know. Mm. And, and my my thing is always, if you listen to a podcast that you go, I love this. There's two things you can do. You can help them by telling loads and loads and loads of folk about it. And the other thing is check if they've got a tier that fits with you. Even if you don't want to go for their top tier and their t-shirts and their badges and their extra episodes a month, a dollar a month from 10 people helps somebody who is starting a podcast to host it somewhere that people will find it. So if my message is Patreon's is a wonderful thing for supporting artists who have no other means of support. Absolutely. I mean, me and Bob, probably don't even break the one million pounds a year barrier on patreon so it's not a big source of our not this year no not this year um with uh, no no offense adam but if i had we wouldn't be here (laughs) (laughs) just in case you don't know bob's actually at my house today in pitlockery so we're recording some content having a good time so far and adam's going to show me the pub later absolutely which is the main reason i'm here (laughs) and i think that's plural bob oh yes i yeah (laughs) Okay, so let's set some context for today's story with our guest of the month in year game. Number two in the UK charts this month was Sam Smith with Stay With Me. In the US, it was John Legend with All of Me at the Summit. And in Australia, top of the album charts was Coldplay with Ghost Stories. In the news this month, King Juan Carlos of Spain. Juan. Well, I love that. Do it again. <laughs> I'm, I'm half Spanish, Bob, as you can tell. He abdicated the Spanish throne to make to make way for his son, Philippe the Fifth, the Sixth, Philippe the Sixth. Claude Monet's Water Lilies was sold at auction for $54 million. A snip, Bob, where is it in your house again? On eBay. On eBay. <laughs> Luis Suarez was charged with biting at the FIFA World Club. Remember, everyone, stay classy. <laughs> Former News of the World editor and Downing Street director of comms Andy Colson was found guilty of conspiring to hack phones. He would later spend time behind bars, as would Rolf Harris, who was found guilty this month on 12 counts of indecent assault between 1968 and 1986. I only recently read the closing statements of the judge about Harris, but if you've got 20 minutes free, I strongly suggest you Google it and take a read not just about the crimes he committed, but the sheer arrogance of the man. Have you read much into Rolf Harris and his crimes, Bob? I don't like to read about bell ends. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> I 
think, I think we'll just leave it there. Shall we? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, on that bombshell, did you get the month and year? Did you get the month and year, Bob? Uh, I'm, a year, I'm going to go... So FIFA World Cup year, so uh, 2006. Close. So France 98, wasn't it? Was that Euros? I work off France is where I tend to work off of. So I'm going to go... Um, 2008. Oh, so close, Bob. You're only a massive six years out. It was June 2014. Oh, was it as recent as that? Yeah, I know. See, I it was the whole. I say the Suarez biting thing is what went with mm. me, but I was, I was going on World Cup with years. I thought Coulson was caught before that. The time races by. I mean, what were you then? Back in your mid fifties, weren't you? Yeah, got my bus passed through this week, so. Uh, I'm, I'm punching 40 this year and I'm sad about it. Let's not go ages. <laughs> um, that whole news of the world scandal and the phone hacking is the one thing that sticks in my mind about uh, when we're talking about true crime cases, you know, we all, don't always have to talk about murders and things like that. Mm. There's, there's things that stick in my head that I just go, what the hell were you doing? Mm. And that's the one that always jumps out at me that goes, you're just nasty people. Mm. Like you, to do that tapes at a level of, inhumanity that I just can't comprehend. That's, and I, I genuinely had thought it was before 2014. It should have been, but yeah, just a bunch of arseholes with a phone is all that was really, wasn't it? It's, it's up there with the biggest scandals of our time, isn't it? Um, yeah, it's hard to justify. And some people went to prison and I would suggest that some didn't who uh, should have. Maybe should have, yeah. maybe let's not go there and instead, <laughs> let's get on with today's story okay so even when siblings came to be close they were still likely to be the odd falling out of course but conflicts are soon resolved and life goes on and for parents of siblings who are squabbling about things it can be hugely stressful as you'll know if you've ever had any family disagreements and they really have to master the art of conflict resolution ensuring they don't take the side of one child over the other and knowing that appearing to favour a son or daughter might make the situation much, much worse. But of course, as parents, we, we don't get it right all the time. Um, and there's lots of high-profile cases of parents clearly siding with one sibling over another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of those, it's always the uh, it's the running joke in our household that um, I was the favourite until my brother came along. Uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of these things, but, you know, a bit of civil rivalry really isn't a problem, but it's when it becomes that issue of clearly favouring is really, it's not nice. And having two children, both of us have a, a, yeah. two children. Yeah. I can't imagine picking one of the two of them. Mm. Unless it was in a fight. I know I would go with my daughter if, <laughs> if I had to go into a fight because she's absolutely mental. She's ferocious, isn't she? She's nearly two and I think she'd tear my arm off. <laughs> okay. In July 1981, Michael and Francis Bartlett welcomed their daughter, Rachel Louise, into the world. And four years later, in 1985, Rachel was thrilled to become a big sister to younger sister Kathy. The sisters were close and they had a very pleasant, stable childhood, normal childhood, with loads of love in Hampshire. And their sisterly bond developed into a close relationship as they became teenagers. Rachel Bartlett was ambitious, she was business savvy, and it was her dream to set up her own business consultancy company. And frankly, she worked damned hard to achieve her dream, supported by family and friends, of course. And on the 4th of June 2014, Rachel's company, Nurture IT Global Limited, was officially registered at the address Whitemore Farm Villa, Whitemore Lane, 
Windsor, Hampshire. The Nurture IT Global Twitter account was launched in July 2014 with the following bio, Generate IT, Event IT, Nurture IT, enabling your business to develop and grow. What is Nurture IT? As in they just want to nurture it into the the works the, the workforce. Yeah, but at least on the plus side, they didn't mention the word innovate. That really grates yeah. on me. Yeah, that? with a number eight instead of the word. <laughs> um, Great band, though. So they, yeah, very much so, yeah. Um, so they basically just provided infrastructure yeah. for, for big events and stuff. IT consultancy, right, okay. essentially, yeah. And everyone loves an IT consultant, Bob. Oh, yeah. One of the hottest people on the planet. <laughs> Once the business was established and looking for clients, Rachel recognised that she would need some additional support. And who better than her sister? So she asked Kathy if she would consider joining Nurture IT Global as her financial manager. After all, who could she trust more? Kathy was thrilled to be asked and she readily accepted. She was proud of her sister's drive and determination and she'd no doubt that the business would be a roaring success. And she looked forward to sharing the journey and of course, the rewards. The journey did get off to a good start, and Nurture IT began using their new platform to promote a local charity event. The Langley Tavern Pub in the New Forest, where Kathy was a regular, been there, Bob? No, sounds good though. I like a tavern. Yeah, absolutely. It held an annual music festival fundraiser, and in 2014, this event would coincide with a raffle to raise funds for Southampton's Princess Anne Hospital neonatal unit. After hearing about the care given to baby Amy, the daughter of a couple of Langley Tavern residents. Residents? Regulars. So, all round wholesome, wholesome family, wholesome area. Nice area, nice family, starting a business, working hard, um, doing the right thing in the community, which is important, of course. So, all looking good at this stage, but of course, on this podcast, like yours, Bob. I was going to say, you have to drop a bomb at some point here, because this is far too pleasant. It is. It's just nice so far, isn't it? But I'm afraid it soon deteriorates. The event was a huge success, raising over £11,000 for the neonatal ward. And although Kathy's involvement was primarily as a pub regular, wanting to use her fundraising and events experience to help others, the music festival was undoubtedly great PR for Nurture IT Global, who had a strong presence at the event. As the business continued to develop, Rachel was delighted with her decision to bring her sister on board. And as the company became more established, Kathy's responsibilities grew. As financial manager, Kathy was permitted access to All Nature IT Global's accounts and financial records, and it was not long before Kathy realized how much money she now had access to and how easy it was to spend it. I always say the motivation for every crime, no matter how you break it down, is always money. Money, sex, jealousy. I mean, great night out. Um, <laughs> Good band. It just, yeah, to me, it's all. There's always a caveat of uh, for the life insurance policy, or mm. I had an easy access and I didn't know what I was doing, or yeah, we drilled into a bank and stole loads of money. You know, it tends to be that. You're, you're right. Sex, jealousy come into it, but usually, to any especially in the historic cases we're talking about. You, you, we'll talk about it and we'll go, I know the jealous husband killed whoever or whatever it is. And the life insurance, insurance policy was changed three weeks beforehand. And, mm. you know, this always boils down to money. 
Human greed is the problem. Absolutely. When somebody sees how easy it can be to take money fraudulently, that's lifestyle it gives them. That can just lead to further crime, can't it? Free cash ain't good cash. So to begin with, Kathy convinced herself she was simply speculating to accumulate, I suppose. She felt she had to look the part to meet clients. So the new clothes that she was spending the money on were a legitimate business expense. Likewise, hair and makeup and so on. There's an IT expert called John Constant who was brought in to help set up the company. He raised concerns very early over suspected financial irregularities he'd come across with Kathy. But Kathy said, look, don't mention it to Rachel. She said that Rachel had a habit of excessive spending and was rather sensitive about it. Kathy assured John she'd keep an eye on the situation and try to keep Rachel's spending in check. And of course, John believed Rachel. Why wouldn't he? But believing that her spending was out of control, John took that decision to walk away from the business as he knew that this could cause all sorts of problems further down the line. Uh, smart self-preservation there. Uh, I like the fact that he goes, there's something wrong and I need to walk away from this or I'm going to get caught up in it. But before you go, send the alarm. Yeah, but I mean, he raised it with her sister. Yeah, that's true. And what more can you do? Because that's if they're in business together, that's the right person to tell, isn't it? Yeah, and if Rachel tells him, look, uh, sorry, if Kathy tells him that my sister's got a problem, you think, yeah, right, good for you for being aware of it and protecting me from this. Yeah, yeah. So with her spending from the business account no longer under scrutiny once John left, Kathy's lavish lifestyle became even more extravagant. She would treat friends to VIP events, often paying for the executive box at her beloved Southampton Football Club. I think they play football. I've not really heard of that. Yeah, I mean, 22 men in shorts chasing a ball is not... It's not you. It's not me, I'm afraid, yeah. <laughs> well, as a supporter of the Mighty League United, I'll stay quiet <laughs> on this. If they've not got sticks and snow, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> I know nothing about it. But she did loads of corporate entertainment because she had the money to do so. And you can imagine her friends and potentially family members loved it. But in reality, what she was doing was taking large groups of friends and explaining to her guests, don't pay for anything because I get them for free. Sounds a bit to me like being a member of the government, Bob, don't you think? <laughs> Any I government. Shall, I, shall, I shall pass no sentences. <laughs> the Twitter feed was managed by Kathy too. I know Bob's a big fan of Twitter. Just the social media pit of sin. <laughs> She was very active on Twitter and she went from retweeting general business news and tips and, goodness gracious, Richard Branson memes to tweeting about picking up clients from Gatwick Airport to take them to Twickenham to watch the England team playing rugby. So there was loads going on. The business appeared to be thriving. It was going really, really well. Do you think you could pick a more boring billionaire to retweet memes about? Than Branson? Hmm. I don't know how many millionaires, billionaires, do you rather? Elon Musk? Oh, he's not yeah, it's not boring, is it? No, at least he's eccentric. Yeah. It, it was just a thought, yeah. Yeah. I, I feel I would be much more exciting if I had a billion dollars. It'd be worth, I'd like to find out, wouldn't you? I, I mean, I'd be dead in a week. <laughs> I, think hmm, I wonder what this heroine's like. <laughs> so bad. Okay. So whilst Rachel was aware that entertaining clients was a legitimate part of the business, she was starting to feel concerned about the frequency of such events. And so she asked Kathy, her sister, naturally, for access to the accounts. But Kathy had changed the login security so that only she was able to gain entry. And she repeatedly made excuses why she shouldn't share this information with Rachel. She said she needed more time. 
She's locked out of the account. She's too busy. But unsurprisingly, the more excuses she was given, the more determined Rachel became to find out just what Kathy was hiding. She knew she was doing something wrong then. Yeah, she must have known. You can't, you can't make that many excuses and go, what I'm doing is, is fine. It's, I, I can think of it for me at work. I'm sure for you and everyone else listening as well, that if people sometimes ask you questions and you, there's something not at this level, but something you're trying to cover up, you make those excuses, but you know, and they know. That you're in the wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, there's something there. And it's always better just to come clean, isn't it? In March 2015, Rachel was living alone at her dad's house in Whitemore Lane in Windsor in Hampshire. On Friday the 6th, she was awoken by the sound of her 14-year-old dog Jade barking frantically. To her horror, she realised that the house was on fire. Thanks to the dog waking her from her sleep, Rachel was able to escape unharmed. Unfortunately, and I hate this, the dog Jade wasn't so fortunate and died in the fire after waking her owner. That's so sad. Whitemore Lane was also the registered address of Nurture IT Global, so some documents relating to the business were also destroyed in this fire. Rachel was shocked and shaken, of course, as well as devastated by the death of her dog, and she suspected, I'm not sure why, but she already suspected Kathy of causing this fire, but there was no evidence to place her at the scene of the crime. But what little trust there had been between the sisters had pretty much gone and it was starting to cause a rift within the wider family. Rachel had talked to her family about making an appointment to see the bank manager on the 8th of April to discuss the company accounts and suspected irregularities and this had not gone down well with her parents. On the 7th of April, just a month after the fire had devastated her dad's house, Rachel was staying with her mum Frances at her place in the New Forest in Hampshire. The sisters seemed to have put aside their differences for the evening and were drinking wine together until Rachel, overcome with exhaustion, told Kathy she was going to head upstairs to bed and they wished each other good night. Their mum Frances retired to bed in the front bedroom, but just after 2.30am, Rachel would once again awake to discover the house was engulfed in flames. Rachel briefly wondered why the smoke alarm had not been activated, but in the end she was just thankful she'd been woken by the intense heat. She made her way to the stairs, but that's where the fire was at its worst, blocking her means of escape. So Rachel, who was recovering from a fractured ankle at the time, dragged her way up to the loft space where she had no choice but to jump out of the window. Her limbs felt heavy, she landed awkwardly on concrete below and was not unconscious, but she was lucky. She was alive, and incredibly she escaped with only minor injuries. Two fires? Yeah, two fires, and jumping out of a top floor with a broken ankle, did you say? Yeah, fractured ankle. That's some Spider-Man stuff right there. She was fortunate to survive the, yeah. survive the jump, I suppose. Her mum, Frances, was asleep in the front bedroom downstairs and was able to escape unscathed with the assistance of her daughter, Kathy, who had heroically raised the alarm and was able to get her outside quickly. Just in time. Just in time indeed. And the house was completely destroyed, taking with it, yep, you guessed it, further documentation relating to the company's accounts. Now, this all sounds contrived and convenient, right? It was. There could be no doubt this time that Kathy's actions were carefully planned and later in courts, the prosecution laid out exactly what had happened that fateful evening after Rachel and her mum had gone to bed. Do we know how much money we're talking about here? Yes. 
right. we do. So we're looking just under 100K. So significant amount of money. Significant amount of money. But is it enough to burn two houses down? Yeah, the QC said what happened that evening. He said that she went outside that Kathy, that is, outside to her car and she took inside a petrol can. She knew what she was going to do. It was, it was prepared. It's almost unimaginable, the QC said, burning your own sister alive in the house. But Rachel was clearly not meant to get down those stairs to escape. And after disposing of the petrol canister in the garden bin, Kathy composed herself enough to then play the part of the heroine that we've heard about. So she burst into her mum's bedroom to wake her up before they both escaped the burning house where there was clear means of escape by the back. Not that much thought put into it if she just put the petrol can in the bin. No, surprising, <clears throat> surprising amount. It's a really throwaway thought that mm. you just go put it in the bin when there's a massive means of getting rid of it by just chucking it in the house. Yeah. Surely. Yeah. I don't so. know how fire investigations, how thoroughly they can find melted plastic afterwards, but put it in the right place, surely it's gone. If if you're going to do a premeditated arson attack, you'd think you'd have thought about that, wouldn't you? Yeah, well, disposable, disposal becomes part of the means, surely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, premeditated, yes. Smart, no. No, no, I agree with you. Kathy also dialed 999 herself. She, she dialed at 2.38am and the fire brigade were dispatched and began tackling the blaze whilst Rachel was taken to hospital. The fire service completed their reports which confirmed that Rachel would almost certainly have died were it not for a single door separating the room where she slept from the top of the stairs where the fire began which was closed at the time. Initially treated as an accident, I know, Kathy Bartlett's <laughs> downfall would be a sniffer dog named Ruby, who detected traces of petrol on the stairs after the fire being put out, and the police were called. So is there some sort of justice here with dogs? That's, yeah, I was going to say kind of circle of dog life. Yeah. Um, sniffer dogs amaze me. Just There's something incredible about them. And the, the fact that they can't actually then tell you what they've found using words is mad. Uh, there's so much, like, obviously, I know dogs can't talk, but you, could you imagine what we would get if you had sniffer dogs that could talk? So, what do you mean, dogs don't talk? Oh, sorry, I forgot where I was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, talking of sniffer dogs, though, um, me and Bob are both at CrimeCon next month. We are indeed. And I think sniffer dogs are there on, on display. Is that the right expression? They do a display, yeah. They did it last year. <clears throat> we didn't get a chance to go and see it. Um, but... From the reports that we got of people that went, it was an amazing experience. They they were, I think, don't quote me on this, but I think they were money dogs that were there uh, and they hid something on one of the people in the audience or on their chair or whatever and the dogs found it and all. It was quite an incredible display that they, they put on. And the handlers that were there from, I'm guessing, the Met, I, I don't know whether they were specialists or whether it was the Met that was there, um, were apparently really good and delivered an excellent talk and everything. So yeah, if you're at CrimeCon this year, mm. um, if you can get in, because it was quite a, it wasn't a huge space they were using for it, considering the dogs are running about. But if you can get into one of them, they're one of the ones that I would go go and see that. Um, it was it was highly recommended to us. And if you can't get in to watch it at CrimeCon, there's always the option of setting fire to a house somewhere near you. And you yeah. can see sniffer dogs in action. Exactly. Or just cut about with 10 grand at CrimeCon and the dogs will find you. <laughs> <laughs> I have to sell that money after all, Bob. I'll, uh, I might even sell you my Patreon if you're cutting about with 10 grand. 
I mean, clearly all the evidence pointed to Kathy committing arson, and let's take a look at it. Kathy's fingerprints were discovered on the batteries that had been removed from the smoke alarm and left on the sideboard. Again, not much care there. Her fingerprints were on a box of matches. And CCTV footage would show Kathy at a Texaco petrol station filling up a canister with fuel. This same canister would be used to start the fire, as we discussed, being discarded in the garden bin with Kathy's fingerprints on it. And Kathy had plied Rachel with alcohol and sleeping tablets throughout the evening in the hope of making it more difficult for her to escape once the fire was started. Um, she's not the top criminal here, is she? She's not, but there's there's so many juxtapositions in that. The, rather than, you know, do, take the fuel out of your car somewhere where nobody's going to see it. Fill up your car and then siphon it out. Easy. You know, they're not on CCTV. Leaving some physical evidence like the, the canister behind not smart, easy way out. You know, you and I have said we don't know exactly how it works, but surely there's a better way of disposing it. Or fucking take it with you. Don't leave it there. Mm. The batteries on the side, pure stupidity. But the, the taking the time to ply your sister with the booze and, and alcohol uh, and the drugs is that other level. She's gone, I need to do this to complete the mission as such. But the mission setup has been absolute nonsense. So I, I, yes, premeditated, but like panicked. I don't know what I'm reading into this is a woman who's terrified and panicked and doesn't know any way out. Yeah. That's where I am. Yeah. It's, it's desperate, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, really is. But the most damning evidence of all, I suppose, was the motive. Um, let me tell you what the QC said. The QC said in court later, she'd been driven in her own mind to the point of doing something desperate, which is pretty much what we've just said. Within the space of the next 12 hours with the sister going to the bank, her world was going to be exposed. She was going to be revealed as the lying, cheating, treacherous sister that she was, and she was. So Rachel brought back the IT expert, John Constant, the one who'd originally walked away from the business, to help her research the accounts. And the subsequent investigation brought to light exactly why Kathy was so desperate for Rachel not to discover what she'd done. Kathy Bartlett had managed to fraudulently obtain 96000 from Rachel Bartlett's company, as well as 43000 from her dad, Michael, who had a stake in the company. Out of the 96 k over 20000 was spent on Southampton Football Club hospitality and 2000 on four tickets to an Arsenal match so her boyfriend, Julian Lane, could take his young son. Now, if it was a mighty Leeds United game, I can understand it. Arsenal? Very strange. There's so much crime involved with that with me. <laughs> I just <clears throat> spending that kind of money on a ticket for anything. Except obviously coming to see you and Mike and Paul in October and uh, no, sorry, in June, is it? In June. In, in June. June in Glasgow. That's worth a thousand pounds a ticket. It, it is, and we're only charging twelve. It's insane. I know. Madness, isn't it? Um Do you not own most of the club if you've spent twenty grand on hospitality? I feel you should. It's you know, for people of my generation um, with football, although still a fan, and you, you don't want to sound like an old git here, okay, that's always the danger. But I remember very clearly, even when I first started going to football, when players weren't earning this ridiculous amount, you could buy tickets super cheap as well. But now it's, I hate to say, it's, it's all about money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could go on for days and hours and, and weeks about how one man getting paid more than I will do in the next 10, 15 years for 
being exceptional at what they yeah. do. I'm not going to question that. But the global marketplace that goes alongside it is just mental. Mm. And I feel sorry for uh, for sportsmen that work as hard as them. You take rugby players as an example. Yeah, I come from. I married into a quite a rugby family. Um, if they got paid that kind of money, then fine. But it's it's all that kind of global marketplace that goes with it. I just don't under. I physically just don't understand it myself. And to those that do, I hope you have fun. I listened to a, a podcast um, called The Price of Football. Um, it's Kevin Maguire. He's a football and um, finance expert from Liverpool University. And, and he says a lot, pretty much what you just said, that no one resents the footballers earning the big money. They don't, because they tend to be working class people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they've worked hard to get there. I have no yeah. question about that. Yeah. Because, because people don't criticise the hedge fund manager, for example, who tend to not have come from that background. I, I will happily criticise them as well. <laughs> They are the reason this world is an absolute nonsense place. But, <laughs> yeah, but as you say, it's all the stuff around it, isn't it? £2,000 for corporate hospitality. It's utterly bonkers outside most people's. It makes it elite. Yeah, and that's why, where I get off on because, it, you know, if you were to go to one of them, you can't throw off at £2,000 away on a ticket, no. but you would probably appreciate it more than the people who can. Absolutely. It's just men. It's just totally upside down. Yeah. Hey, we'll discuss all this later. Yes, we shall. Here. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> John Constant, he was quoted. He said, I was shocked. I'd not believe what Rachel was telling me. But when he saw the emails, ID fraud, the penny dropped. He said they were great works of art. They were fantastic frauds. The lies were convincing. Kathy had picked up on my fears and anxieties, and she expanded on those. If you base anything in the element of truth, the lies sit very well. In December 2015, 30-year-old Cathy appeared at Winchester Crown Court, charged with one count of attempted murder, one of theft, and ten of fraud. The prosecutor said, Cathy Bartlett's greed and her fantasy of grandeur pushed her so coldly to plan the murder of her own sister to prevent her being exposed to what she really was, a fraud and a thief. She took extreme and unimaginable measures to hide the extent of her dishonesty towards her sister by trying to kill her. She created a fantasy in which she played the role of a businesswoman with a lot of money and contacts. She maintained this illusion by buying people expensive gifts and spent about 20 grand on the tickets at Hampton, as we said, which really she gave away with the aim of buying friends. And Rachel Bartlett was asked to describe the sense of betrayal she felt in court. She said, The first two words that come to mind are heartbroken and devastated. I trusted her and relied on her. And what she has done has ripped our family apart and had a huge effect on us. I thought I trusted her and to find out our relationship was based on lies is devastating. The fact that she was prepared to kill me to cover up her actions is so disturbing, I still haven't been able to come to terms with it. Since the fire, the sheer amount of lies and emotional abuse and manipulation has become clear. Ever since she was remanded in custody, I feel she's been manipulating people and trying to spread lies to people to muddy the water. Now listen to this bit, it's really interesting. I feel that my parents blame me for Cathy being in prison because I'm supporting the police investigation. As such, it has led to arguments and I have no contact with them. I find myself isolated and questioning if I'm doing the right thing. And for her, of course, the, the result of that is, is just disastrous. So when she needed support, it wasn't there. She said, I'm having terrible nightmares, trouble speaking, and panic attacks. I love my sister. I've always thought she loved me back. All of this has come to as a great shock to me. I feel the sheer magnitude of the effect on me cannot be put into words. 
I think Kathy needs help, and I hope she gets the help she needs. And I think we'd agree with that, wouldn't we, Bob? That's really, really sad. That's really horrible that the victim of attempted murder is the one that has been left as the biggest victim, used mm-hmm. to use the same word again, <clears throat> in all of this. Kathy's in the right place. She deserves to be there. Um, you remove the attempted murder there. She did fraud of nearly 150 grand jail. But her pe- like the parents there, like what are they doing? Like I don't understand that. Surely they've seen because her dad lost what forty six thousand out of this. They've yeah. clearly seen, and I know love's blind and all that nonsense. But one of them's done the right thing, and one of them's done a lot of wrong things, and they've backed the wrong horse entirely. I, I agree, and and let's get on to explore that a bit more. After a four-week trial, Kathy Bartlett was found guilty of 10 counts of fraud, one of attempted murder and one of theft, and sentenced to 25 years for the attempted murder charge, plus two years for each of the fraud and theft charges to run concurrently. Now, where is this would normally be the end of an episode? A crime has been committed, the person has been found guilty and sentenced. This case has stuck with me for the reasons that we just discussed, Bob, the sheer number of unanswered questions. Even, for example, for me, why were the two sisters drinking wine together on the night of the second fire when Rachel already suspected Kathy of trying to kill her? It makes no sense. But and does it, though? Sorry to interrupt no, there. No, carry on. You're going to forgive the people that you love the most. Yeah. She doesn't want to see, and I'm just I'm picturing what I would do if my brother tried to set, uh, had set fire to a house and he came around and he went, I'm, I was in a dark place. I can understand you shunning a stranger or a not-so-close friend, but shunning family is more difficult. And yeah. certainly, considering what we've just said, and she was the the person doing the right thing, she maybe d- she doesn't seem to have that mindset to go, mm. oh, nah, well, I'm done with you. It just does, it, to, From what you've said, she doesn't seem like that type of human being. So I can, yep. I can understand them breaking bread and making amends. In that scenario. But yeah, I see what you mean. It's a weird place to be. Then it's back to what we said at the very beginning about not really knowing how families work on the outside. And it's the same with the parents. And even the judge said at sentencing, I feel very sorry for your parents in their awful situation. They've been supporting the wrong daughter. It's Rachel that deserves their compassion and not you. I hope they will regret their behaviour towards Rachel. And she has the generosity to forgive them. And this, as I said at the beginning of the episode, is the weirdest part of the story. Here, Michael and Francis Bartlett sat with Kathy, not Rachel, throughout the whole trial and gave evidence in Kathy's defence. The dad, Michael, who was defrauded, as you said, of 40 grand and had his house destroyed in an arson attack that Kathy was suspected of starting. And also Francis had her house destroyed in an arson attack while she was sleeping inside. They were unwavering in their support for Kathy while shunning Rachel. And Kathy's defence had been that she was being used as a scapegoat by Rachel to hide the fact her business was failing. And then what Kathy had told the IT expert looking into the accounts at the start about it being Rachel who was overspending was completely true. It was also suggested that the arson at the house in Bartley was in fact a suicide attempt by Rachel, which is why Kathy and Francis had a clear means of escape. The fingerprint evidence was just circumstantial. After all, and it was claimed that the petrol was purchased by Kathy for her dad's lawnmower and that she had discussed this purchase with him. And then Michael Bartlett refused to either confirm or deny this conversation took place 
when asked about it in court. I always fill my petrol on more in the house. Do you? <clears throat> always. I always drag the petrol on more into the house, <laughs> fill it in there, just to leave a trace amount to cover my back for future. And you make sure that the uh, stove is on as well, do you? Always, always, yeah. Yeah, okay. That's, that's good advice. Good advice, listeners. Did you hear that? Came from Bob. When asked about the allegation that Kathy had created fake business personas in order to defraud Rachel, the dad, Michael, said, It's not right. I think she was doing it to please Rachel. She hadn't done anything for financial gain. And his response to discovering Kathy had forged checks in his name to the amount of approximately £40,000, he said, I was angry, but I let it go. Okay. Uh, forgive and move on. That's cool. Yeah. But what about your other daughter? Yeah. And the mother, Frances, was equally elusive in her responses and refused to answer when asked by the prosecution if Kathy had told her what evidence to present. Let me give you the account. So QC Gab said, is this because you think you'd be being disloyal to Kathy if you told the truth? And Francis said, some of those conversations were stupid. The overpaid QC said, why are they stupid? They took place. Is it because the penny is now dropping with you and the more I show you, the more overwhelming it becomes? And the mum said, I will keep my thoughts to myself. But you shouldn't. You're in a court, court of law. Yeah, it, just, it doesn't add up, does it? There's loads of baffling bits here. I'm, 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 follow, I'm following what you're saying, but I'm just like I, my mind keeps going off on me when here and there going, how, how is this real life? This sounds like a soap opera. This yeah. sounds like something you would watch in Hollyoaks or something like that. Yeah. And you know, at the end of the day, everyone would kiss and make up, and the right person would go to jail. But that's not actually what's happening here. No, it's not. And the defence are also quick to point out that Kathy had a kind and generous nature. She didn't light up the room. We're not going that far in the cliche. But they spoke about the charity fundraising she'd undertaken that we spoke about at the beginning of the episode. And Kathy also had two young children. So it could be argued that why would she do this? Because by going to prison, she'd be leaving her two young children behind. Her parents' reluctance to initially press charges against her for the fraud and the property damage, while simultaneously disowning Rachel, who was left homeless with a dissolved business, Suggest there is much more to the Bartlett family than meets the eye. Could it just be family pride? Were they angry with Rachel because the trial brought shame on the family? Where it could have been resolved quietly behind the scenes? Or was there something more sinister afoot? Was the company just a front for a less ethical business? And was Rachel's insistence on looking at the accounts could have exposed something different? Do you know, I suspect we'll never know the whole truth. But that is the story of how one woman's dream to run an ethical event and IT company resulted in fraud, attempted murder, and a family forever torn apart. So what's your overall thought when you look back on this story today, Bob? An ethical company with a massive carbon footprint after two house fires. This is true. This is true. Very true. Um, yeah, I, I, I just, I'm going with what I've said right through. I just I feel really, really sorry for Rachel who's been left with nothing, not just no business, no house, no, but no family. Because mm. if that was me and your parents woke up one day and went, oh, wait a minute, we got that wrong. You'd still be a bit like, uh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm pissed off at you now, mm. which she has every right to be. You forget and move on all forgiveness and all that kind of stuff. But you've been like, you've been put through the ringer for something you did nothing wrong. Mm. The, to me, like I say, Kathy's in the right place uh, and Rachel's the victim here, massively. 
beyond anything. And this is one of those occasions. So the, the sort of podcast that we produce, because we produce it on a, such a regular basis, we don't always get the chance to interview people around the family um, and, and directly involved. This is exactly one of those cases where I'd love to spend time actually maybe researching for a book or a documentary mm. and actually get that first-hand evidence. Yeah, going back to the parents and going, where's your head at? Yeah. And the friends, family friends. Come on, tell us some more about the dynamics of that family. Yeah, what's what was the behind closed doors actually like? Yeah. Because, you know, you, you paint a, a rosy family picture at the beginning, certainly. Mm. But was that all front and actually behind the door, it was a feuding, horrible family? Well, we hear it so much on this podcast, and I often talk about the Facebook effect. You know that person on Facebook that you look at, they're always wonderful in their pictures, the family were always having a fantastic time, doing the most amazing things. And you think, wow, they're such a fantastic family, they're having a great time. And then you find out, don't you, a couple of years down the line that they've had an affair or something's happened and things aren't quite as rosy as, as it should be. And I think this is a danger with social media. I know social media people present their best side, mm-hmm. but I think you just, you just don't, and I suppose, why should you, I suppose? Why should you know? Yeah, you don't. Uh, no, you don't need to air your dirty laundry online ever. You know that's that's not that's not what it's there for, is it? And I suppose the argument here is as well if they're presenting a front for a new business, they're saying, "Look, at, we're family orientated and all that kind of stuff." Then you're going to put your best pictures out there and your shiny, happy thumbs up pieces. But yeah, it's like you say, I suppose we'll never know without revisiting and going back to them and going for the right or reply type thing. Mm. You know, ours is just conjecture on what we know. Yeah. Um of a very sad story. Mm. Luckily, nobody died. Yeah, that's that's the one positive. No one died. And I, th- I just think it's been a really interesting story. So Hayes, thanks once again for this. Um Bob's still waiting. He Cheers, said, Hayes. Yep. He said his email's waiting for and, the next script. Anytime you want to write, just you let me know. <laughs> Or or if you want to come and join me on the podcast anytime, do give me a shout here. You'd be more than welcome. Absolutely. Um, Bob, thanks for joining me today. Thanks very much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm looking forward to the pub. We're going to do, we have just done, weirdly, actually I was going to say this just when we were talking. This is the second episode we've recorded today. Uh, and the first one was about sisters. Mm. A lot more love between that pair of sisters than there was between this pair, I would say. Mm. Um And I'll leave that teaser at that. So if you haven't listened to the other episode that Adam and I have done just an hour or so ago, um, go and look it up. And I think hopefully it's a bit different to the one we've just recorded, but hopefully you enjoy both. And do hit us on the old social pit of sin to let us know what you think of it. (laughs) So thanks again, Bob. Thanks for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to have you here. So thank you for listening today. I really appreciate it. Um, If you want to hear some more about any true crime, head to our Facebook group. There's now 80,000 people on our Facebook group. That's mad. 80,000. It's many things. It's certainly never dull. No, indeed. (laughs) And if you want to support my show or Bob's show, of course, please head to Patreon, um, patreon.com slash UK true crime, bonus episodes, exclusive content and other things there. Okay. So that's all for another week um, from me. So thank you again for taking the time to join me. I'll be back again on Tuesday next week with another case from the 37th most popular UK true crime podcaster. So until then, despite all the others, anything to say to the listeners, Bob? I always like to leave people with a thank you, love you, bye. And of course, while you're doing those things, stay classy. Cheerio for now. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts.